We've been doing our series, we've been looking at a series on the theme and the cry, Give Me Jesus, and I, I think today should close our, theory, our series, I think, I'm pretty sure. We've had 10 messages, that's a good round number, right, for um, looking at this. And, you know, we started with that, that song or that hymn, the old hymn, Give Me Jesus, You Can Have All This World, But Give Me Jesus, and that's... You know, that's to be our cry as we pass through this life on our, our pilgrim journey. You know, that we just want Jesus above all else. And I wanted to look uh, at that with you today, kind of, you know, at how the scriptures show us that as we go on our journey, there is a change that, well, I should say takes place, hopefully takes place, is to take place in us in coming to know Jesus and in, in winning Christ you know, there's a transformation we can see, at least shown in the scriptures, of what can be done in us. And we're going to be looking at the, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, uh, at least at, at uh, three verses that kind of show a, a change, a progression. And we can see kind of three levels. The Shulamite is the, 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 the bride in the Song of Solomon and and, you know, her heart is being drawn and changed in her relationship with the bridegroom as you read through that, that book. And, but in that, there's this, this progression in her relationship I want to look at. And, and so the first one is in chapter 2. It starts early, and it's in chapter 2 and verse 16. And here's the, the Shulamite speaking about her bridegroom, the one she loves. And it says, my beloved is mine, and I'm his. He feeds among the lilies. And, you know, of course, the Shulamite speaking of us is, you know, called to be a part of the bride of Christ. And, and so here she is saying, my beloved is mine. Of course, I'm his, but he's mine. And, you know, when we first come to Christ, there, there is that marvel at what Christ has done for us and how coming to Christ changes our lives so much for the better, you know, because we have great joy at being washed and set apart and knowing his peace and his joy and Jesus supplies our needs and he answers our prayer. And we, you know, the more we follow him, we taste of his goodness. But you know, that simply reflects the, the nature of a child, right? Because when we come to Christ, we're called like little children, little babes in Christ when we enter the kingdom. And, and when you think about the perspective of a child, what, what do you, when you think about that, you know, the child, the world revolves around the child, not the other way around, right? <laughs> At least from the perspective, you know, it, and it kind of takes a while for the child to start to think of other people other people uh, place other needs before their own. In fact, we would consider that a mark of maturity, wouldn't it? When we see a child begins to think about other people, we'd say, oh, look at that. They've progressed from mine, 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 me, me, me. But, you know, as we consider that, we realize, you know, as believers, well, even as creation, right? Believers or not, we were all created for a purpose, that there's more to life than just ourself, right? More than what we receive from God. 
Revelation 4 and verse 11. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Everything on this earth, everything that has breath, everything that has life, or even the rocks that don't have any life, everything was created for his pleasure. And so when we're considering that, that as a part of that cry, give me Jesus, we're really saying, Lord, I acknowledge that you created me for your pleasure. Help me to, to become so, so that my life is pleasing to you and gives you pleasure. And as that transformation starts to take place, our perspective starts to change. What is important to us will change. Our cry will change. And as we progress in the Song of Solomon, the, you know, the song of the bride, um, because a lot of it is the bride proclaiming uh, the beauty of the bridegroom and vice versa, but it's, it's what's happening in, in her life, too. And so it progresses on. Let, now let's, we're going to skip from chapter 2 to chapter 6. So in chapter 6, in verse 3, it says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds among the lilies. So there's a little bit of a change that takes place. But, you know, there's a lot that's taken place between those ch- two chapters. A lot has been done in the, in the life of the Shulamite. Um, you know, she's tended to her garden, speaking of the garden of her heart. She's been washed and cleansed. She's learned to respond to the bridegroom as he calls her, um, which we talked about last time or, or was it the time before? One of those times we talked about that. You know, she, she, she went out and followed him but couldn't find him and had some unpleasant experiences. People didn't treat her well. She was mistreated, but she took on the meekness and the sweetness of Christ And others saw her and said, oh, what is your beloved more than ours? And she was able to share the beauty of Christ with others. And, you know, some of the other themes of Song of Solomon, she learned to run upon the mountains as a deer, upon the high places. And she learned about the secret places of communion. She learned about the little foxes that come in to destroy the vine, speaking of sin that wants to creep in. And if we let it remain, it'll destroy the good work that the bridegroom is trying to do in us. She became a part of God's mighty army, an army terrible with banners. What's interesting is the bride is also a warrior. She's called to fight. And she's able to fight and win spiritual battles over the enemy as she puts on the armor of God. And, you know, it's like the the young men and women that John talks about in, in his epistle. Remember 1 John 2 and verse 14, the second part where it says, I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the wicked one. We see that change take place in the Shulamite in chapter 6. There's that transformation. It's no longer, he's mine. It's an acknowledgement, I am his, and he's mine. And so now, now there's a shift taking place. Lord, it's really all about you pleasing your heart. But I, I still want you to, you know, I mean, there's a, there's that change that's, that's gradual, but yet, you know, there's a strength that comes when that perspective changes in our lives. 
when it's not, when we're not first anymore and God's first, there's a strength that comes in, maybe perhaps a new level of victory as we come to that place of, of maturity and a new perspective because we're seeing the Lord in a new way. We're seeing what he wants to do in us. We're walking with him. We, we see and walk in the light of the truth. I am my beloved's and it changes how we walk. But then there's a, a final realization we see in Song of Solomon. It's in the next chapter, chapter 7. And you could call it the ultimate response of the Shulamite. Se- chapter 7 and verse 10. It says, again, it starts with, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Now that's a real change there. You know, what we're really seeing is, is what changes is the statements about herself. It started off with the Shulamite at center stage, right? He is mine. He's all for me, for no one else. That's not a bad thing. We want Jesus. But yet the second one, there was that shift. I am his, that acknowledgement. It's about him and he's mine. But the third, it's I am his and his desire is toward me. You know, the ultimate place is where it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. The only thing left of the Shulamite is what pleases the bridegroom. That epitomizes our cry, give me Jesus. Lord, let there only be what's left of me is what's pleasing to you. And so one of the big changes in this we see, it's actually not just the Shulamite's perspective, It's the bridegroom's perspective because it says his desire is toward me. And so the the bridegroom's desire is toward the bride. And that's quite a a wonderful thought. You, You consider that for a moment. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, it says his desire is towards me, right? That he would direct his desire towards us little people down here on earth. But we realize it's not, it's not in our effort or our merit or something you know, we accomplished that God looks down and says, oh, look at that person. Oh, he's so wonderful or she's so wonderful. You know, It's not that at all, but it's because we've opened our heart and allow God to work in us. And he sees that work in us and he says, oh, that's a beautiful work they've allowed me to do in their lives. It's his work. It's his beauty. It's his characteristics that as they're in our lives, it draws his heart and his desire towards us. Really, the, goal, the whole goal of our life is to draw the heart of God towards us by allowing him to work in us. Now, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that kind of depicts this, but it's in a negative sense. It's actually, it's a very negative sense. But, but you know, so you learn from other people's mistakes. Sometimes more than their, their achievements. You learn, you see their mistakes, it's like, okay, I don't want to do that. All right, but, but this, this thought from Ecclesiastes, it illustrates this, this concept of pleasing God. In, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 26, this is, Solomon commenting on 
his experience in life. And he says, I find more bitter than death. Think about things in life that you would say are more bitter than death. There's not a ton, but there are a lot. And so here's Solomon saying, more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets in her hand, hands as, as bands to bind. Whoever pleases God shall escape her, but the sinner will be taken by her. Now we got to understand the situation with Solomon, right? He knew this kind of bitterness firsthand because he opened his heart to it. The, the bitterness that comes from being joined to ungodly women and he had a thousand of them, <laughs> which is the, an accomplishment in itself. Even if you tried, it's hard to imagine a thousand relationships and in, in such. But he had a thousand strange women in his household. So he must have known the greatest bitterness of any man alive in that account. But notice what it says. Whoever pleases God will escape that trap. Of bitterness. You know, we may be weak, we may have areas that God needs to work on in our lives, but if we make our focus to do what pleases God, that can keep us, that can preserve us. If that's our heart, if that's our cry, give me Jesus. Because we're really saying, Lord, do whatever it takes that I can be pleasing to you. Now, Solomon is, I mean, you read about his life, he's really a cautionary tale. He's really a tale of how not to walk, how not to do it. I mean, well, in the beginning, I mean, he was glorious. I mean, you think about, in, it talks about in 2 Samuel 12 that he started off and God called him Jedidiah. Does anyone know who, what Jedidiah means? The, name, the meaning of that is beloved of the Lord. Solomon or Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. But once he became king, he started to do, he started some good works, right? He built the temple. It took seven years. Then he built his own house. It took 13 years, almost twice as long. 13, not a number you want to be associated with. But it's kind of indicative of a shift. Instead of focusing his heart to do what pleases, what pleased God as his father, David, had done, he sought to please his own heart. And we can read about that in Ecclesiastes, uh, how he talked about he, he actively sought to give himself to whatever he wanted, what, whatever kind of struck his fancy or whatever. He, did, he didn't hold back at all. He gave himself to it. In fact, he actually called it, it's like, I, I opened my heart to pursue folly. That's quite something as a, as a goal in life. But the result was he was no longer protected or preserved, and he didn't please God. That's scary stuff. But David, you know, he was by no means a man who was perfect, as is clear in Scripture. But what he did do was he always sought to please God, to do what was right you know, and, and of course, he's called the man after God's own heart because he always sought to do and to, and to be a man who would be pleasing to God. And the result was he was preserved when many others fell. 
We see the ultimate example to us is, of course, Jesus. In John John chapter 8 and verse 28, we see how Jesus related to his father, and that's kind of the ultimate picture of what how we're to relate to God. And, and then Je- Jesus replied to them. He said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he. And I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak those things. And he that has sent me is with me. My Father hasn't left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. That was where Jesus was at. He did always and only those things that pleased his father. And of course, that really is our cry. Give me Jesus. Lord, help me to walk in this way. Well, really we're saying, give me the life of Jesus when we're making that our cry. And so we're saying, Lord, help me to walk in that same way. But in doing that, we seek to do always what pleases him. Now, coming back to that thought of the Song of Solomon and the Shulamite, one of the aspects of the bride that, that draws the bridegroom is her beauty, right? It's talked about all throughout that. Well, it's talked about the beauty of the bridegroom and the beauty of the bride. And, and really, it's a picture of, that, of Christ's relationship with his bride, with his church on earth. You know, and Christ sees the beauty that we have allowed him to work within us, and it draws his heart towards us, towards his people. Peter talks about this, and he talks about the relationship between the husband and wife. And um, Now, we realize that this, this passage applies to women, but yet, as we're considering we're all called to be a part of the bride of Christ, it, uh, men, it applies to us too. And so, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, It says, likewise, you wives, or those who want to be in the bride of Christ, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or conduct of their wives, while they behold your chaste conduct coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning or arranging of the hair and of the wearing of gold, putting on a fine clothing, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price, of great value. And so Peter is advising the wives and really all of us who want to win Christ is to focus on what really matters. Not the outward, not the adorning, Right? And that's the example. I mean, we, we know the ladies like nice clothes and like good deals and shopping and have the joy of bringing that home and so forth and adorning. But yet that's just one example of, fo- of how we can focus on the outward and we can have an over focus on that. And that's the temptation in life, to focus on what we can see with our eyes. But it's the unseen that's so valuable to Christ that he places such a high value. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So those aspects of heavenly beauty worked into our lives of of meekness, of faith, 
of mercy, long-suffering, gentleness, and sweetness. Those qualities, when they reside in our hearts, are so beautiful to God. They draw His heart so He desires us. I want to close out this series just considering some of the words of the Apostle Paul because this is when you think about give me Jesus and you know winning Christ, it's it's his words we kind of that come to mind. And it ties in so well of this thought of the of picture of the bride pleasing the heart of the bridegroom. And, and so in Philippians 3 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Doubtless I count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as dung, as refuse, that I may win Christ. That epitomizes that cry. Oh, give me Jesus. Let everything else be secondary and, be, and fade away compared to winning Christ. There's a lot you could talk about in that thought of winning Christ Right? It, it's obtaining all that he has for us, a better resurrection. But in reality, it really comes down to the thought of the bride and the bridegroom. Of the bride has, who has won the heart of the bridegroom. Because of her character. Because of her inner beauty. Right? Sometimes we think of the picture of the guy going out seeking a good wife and winning and wooing her. But really, it's the beauty of the bridegroom that draws the heart of our heavenly bride, of Jesus. And in reality, it's the inner beauty that matters. In fact, it's kind of an interesting thought. It's the inner beauty that becomes the outer beauty in heaven for all eternity. That's why it's so important. And, and we have to just keep reminding ourselves that what we see with our eyes now is false. What we can't see within our hearts is true because that is what will be seen for all eternity. Lord, help me to see. Don't let ugliness remain. You know, sometimes if I get upset, a lot of times it happens when I'm driving. I, the Lord's working on me in that. But if I'll get upset, sometimes the thought comes, that was ugly. <laughs> that wasn't a pretty, you know, if heaven was looking now, that wasn't a pretty reaction. You see, what happens within will remain without for all eternity. And that's why we have to make that our focus so much that I may win Christ through his beautiful work that I allow him to do. One last thought here is, you know, as Paul, as he leaves this, and we're continuing on in, in, the, in Philippians, we see that, that winning Christ is a part of our race, of continuing. And, and we know in a race, the hardest part in a race is just keeping going. Right? It's easy in a race to give your all at the beginning. And of course, we're talking to, the longer race, the marathon. That's the picture of life. You know, it'd be nice if life was like a sprint and you could just give your all for a short period of time and that was it. But we're called to be in a, in a marathon. And so it's continuing. That's how we win. And so 
we press in even through adversity and difficulty. And so Paul says this in Philippians 3.12. Here he is almost at the end of his life, just a few years. And he says, it's not that as if I've already attained, even though he's done so much already. Or either I'm already perfected, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and I reach forth to those things that are before me. He still had a few things yet before him to do. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so there's an aspect of his beauty that it's worked within us as we continue in our race, as we don't give up, as we press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling, and we allow God to do a beautiful work within us. I just wanted to read a, a quote by, by Pastor Bailey. I was just, it was, I was struck by it. I think that was in the, his book on the Song of Solomon, but he says this. It says, Christ sees the beauty of the Spirit in us when we are content to stay in the difficult situations. All right? Not content to just stay where we are and not following, but content to endure and, in, and stay in that. Because oftentimes it's a choice, right? We can get out of that difficulty and the work of beauty ceases in us or we can stay in it and keep seeking God. All right, so he, he says, um, the beauty has worked as we're, as we're content to stay in the difficult situations until his sacred work is done. Choosing to trust him, to glorify him, rejoice in him, to love him through it all. This is what attracts the attention of Christ and wins his overwhelming affections. By doing this, we will become beautiful in his sight and he clothes us with his glory. Lord, help us to do that, to continue, to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And so let's allow God to do that full work of glory and beauty in our lives. And in doing so, that a shift will take place. That's just the way that we're being led, where it's no longer, he is mine, and what I receive, and about me, but it becomes I am his. Because we're seeking to do what pleases him, to win his heart, to be as David, a man or woman after God's own heart. And in seeking to develop, or well, allowing God to develop, really. It's just saying, yes, Lord, I'll allow you to do that work, because he admires his work in us. Lord, do that work. Develop those beautiful qualities that are so precious in your sight so that his heart is drawn. And in doing so, we will be preserved. You know, that, that thought of being preserved becomes so more and more important to us as the days progress, doesn't it? Lord, I want to be preserved. And what will preserve us is if we're those who please the heart of God. And so let's let him work his beauty in us. And in doing so, we will win Christ. And that is the result of the cry, give me Jesus. Father, that we desire that that would be our cry. And Lord, we just come to you, Lord, as vessels. Lord, we want you to pour in us. 
Lord, to work in us. Oh, to make us yours. Lord, we, we see the transformation that took place in the Shulamite and the Song of Solomon. And Lord, our desire is that that would take place in us. Or we confess there's areas in our life where it's about us. But Lord, we pray that there would be a transformation. Lord, that our cry and our heart would be after you and Lord, your beauty and what you would have us do. And Lord, that our ultimate transformation would take place where your desire is towards us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, come and do that. Have your way in us and work in us, Lord, that our cry would be, give me Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.